Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Genesis chapter 7 is, of course, a factual account of the flood, presented to us just as it happened, in a very dispassionate way. No dramatization, no emotion, no pathos. The day of God's judgment is come, and the probation of man has reached an end. Noah has preached for 120 years, hasn't he? preaching and teaching, proclaiming the message, the message of sin and righteousness and judgment, the same message that we must preach today. And now that day of the opportunity to repent is over. And the day of judgment has come, just as Noah warned God's judgment day is like that, like a judge sitting on a bench, professionally, precisely, weighing up the evidence, summing up, passing sentence, decreeing judgment, decreeing punishment. Justice must happen and justice will follow and everyone will be able to say that they got exactly what they deserve. And this passage is just like that. It's dispassionate. It's also a wee bit hard to read. It spends a lot of time Uh, reinforcing and reiterating the instructions that Noah had already received from God. And I found four important things happening in chapter 7. And the first important thing is that Noah believed God and he obeyed. The second one, second thing that happens is that God closes the door of the ark. And the third thing that happens is the rain came down and the floods came up. And the last thing, the last important thing that happens is that sinners perished under the terrible wrath of God upon sin. Four simple things. And they'd help us to grasp the passage and to be able to put it into perspective and to understand it. So the first thing is that Noah believed and obeyed. When we read the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and verse 7, we are told by faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah built an ark. There was a command issued. God told Noah to build an ark. And then in verse 1, he says to Noah again, Come thy and all thy house into the ark. It's an invitation. Not an invitation so much as a command. 
An invitation issued by God, but an invitation not to be refused. It's a direct command. It's based on righteousness through faith alone. It's extended to Noah's family. But they're there only on the basis of righteousness. Chapter 7 and verse 1. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. It's extended to include a remnant of every living thing. Now, do you remember last time we looked at the ark and the command to build it, and we saw that the ark was a type, an Old Testament shadow pointing us to the Lord Jesus. You see, everything in the Scriptures points to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. It's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. And the ark is to see, to be seen in that light. It shows us something about Jesus. A command issued. Come into the ark. Tonight, that command still goes out to God's people. To those whom the Lord has seen to be righteous, not in our own works, not through our own righteousness, which is like filthy rags, but the righteousness that is imputed to us through Christ, through faith, by grace, through faith alone. He says to those who are his, come into the ark, come into the place of safety. And Noah says the scriptures, did all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 5. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah obeyed God. The others stayed outside. But Noah obeyed God. He went into the ark and his sons. Verse 7. He went into the ark with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. The flood hadn't happened yet, but Noah still trusts and believes. What a challenge that must have been. What an amazing challenge. A huge floating coffin. Do you remember how we described the ark last week? A huge floating coffin. No light inside it. Full of animals. The heat. The darkness. The smell. The stench. The food. Do you know, I heard a thing the other week made me smile. Some charismatic woman from America called... Would you get her name here? Amanda Wells did a YouTube video. You can probably look it up and you'll see what the people ate. Is that how you'd say it nowadays? Or do you have to say it in the ark while it was floating? Look at verse, chapter 6 and verse 21 for a wee minute just to show you how ridiculous people get. It says unto her, and take thy unto thee of all food that is eaten and thou shalt gather it unto thee. And this woman, this silly, charismatic woman, made this video trying to prove from a misreading of that verse that they survived the time in the ark by eating that which had already been eaten. I don't know. That would be eating poo. And it wouldn't be very nice. And yet any of us with any common sense will know that when... Uh, Moses is writing the book of Genesis. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is that food that people eat, not food that has been eaten. What 
twisting of scriptures, even in the tiniest little things these charismatics will do. What a challenge it must have been to Noah, though. Even if the food was better than what she said, what a challenge it must have been. And what faith and trust must they have needed? Seven days locked up and no sign of rain. Look at verse 4. For yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth. Forty days and forty nights. Seven days yet to come. A test of faith. What a blessing though. Imagine being in the ark and all the animals are in and all the lights are off. There's no lights in the ark. It's dark and it's smelly. And your wife says to you, what are we doing in a place like this? And you look round and you realize that there is one great amazing blessing for all of Noah's family, his wife and his son's and his son's wives were in the ark. Isn't that truly wonderful? They were in Christ. They were going to be spared when judgment day came. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say that? Wouldn't it be truly amazing if whenever judgment day comes, we are able to stand and look and see our family around us and say they're in the ark. Thank God they're here. Thank God they're in heaven. Thank God judgment day has passed and we're gathered together as a family around the throne of grace, praising God to know that the day of judgment would come, that none of our children and none of their children and none of their children's children will be outside of Christ, will be a great blessing. It's a blessing that I pray for. I hope you pray for it too. So Noah has trusted the Lord. He's obeyed him. He's in the ark. He's safe. His family is safe. Noah believed and obeyed. Now the next major event happens is that God closes the door of the ark in verse 16. And they went in. That male and female of all flesh as the Lord had commanded them. And the Lord closed the door. That's really important to grasp. The Lord shut him in. God closed the door. Noah didn't close the door. You see, this is one of those aspects of the construction of the ark that points us to Christ, for there's only one door into this ark. There's only one way to be spared from judgment. There is no other way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He never said, I'm a way to God. And there are many other ways. He said, it's only through me. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's no way that Noah can close that door. You see, that's a weighty door. You think about it logically for a minute or two. Think of the animals that have just gone up that door. That was some door. That door was down, and people were 
Uh, the animals were coming up using the door as a, as a, as a kind of a gangplank to get into the ark. And, you know, there was two dogs and two cats, two budgies. All those wee light animals, two elephants, two rhinoceroses, two hippopotamuses. Oh, there's a powerful amount of weight has just passed over that door. That was some door. Noah couldn't lift it. God could lift it. It is God who closes us into Christ. It is God who places us into the ark and who shuts the door. It's a door that protects us, for the door is now closed. Noah can no longer leave. He's rescued. He's in the ark. There's nothing that can make him leave the ark. There's nothing that can pluck him out of the ark. Noah can't open the door. He can't step outside into danger. Just as in Christ we are safe forever and ever. Nothing and no one can pluck us from his hands. I heard a well-meaning preacher one time saying, you know, you're in the hands of the Lord. And he said, no one can pluck you out of his hands, but you can walk out of his hands. Noah couldn't walk out of the ark. God shut the door. He was in. He was in. It's a weighty door. It's a door of protection. But it's also a door of exclusion. For there was people outside that door. And I wonder, I just wonder, can you get into your mind the idea of what it must be like as the rain began to fall and judgment day came? How many of those unrepentant sinners stood at that door and knocked the door and pleaded for the door to be opened again and wished they were back listening to Noah's preaching that they laughed at? And maybe they stood at the door of the ark and they clawed at it until their fingernails bled. But nothing would help. It was to no avail for the door was shut and it could never ever be opened again. God has shut the door. And he has prefigured that final judgment, separation, when the sheep and the goats will be divided up forever. I have very funny tastes in music. My wife gets into the car beside me and says, turn that off. My taste in music is very eclectic. I don't like anything sensible. I like a bit of classic. I like a bit of jazz. I like Nina Simone. I like Nina Simone singing, Oh Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? She puts some gusto into that. It's not the orthodox words, mind you, if the words are orthodox. But oh boy, she can put it in rocks. Run to the rocks. Rocks, won't you hide me now? Oh, sinner man, where are you going to run to on God's judgment day? Run to the sea. Can't go to the sea. The sea's boiling. Run to the river. Can't go to the river. The river's, the river's bleeding. Run to the Lord. And the Lord says, too late. You should have been praying. Judgment day has come. And that brings us to our third point. 
For the rain came down and the floods came up. I put that deliberately. I'm not quoting a wee chorus for children. But that's actually what happened. The people are standing around and they're looking at that poor creator Noah. You see what he's done now? He's gone and got locked up in that big boat along with his family and a whole menagerie of beasts. And then little spits happen, little droplets of water. It's like that at this time of the year. There's always a wee bit of rain, isn't there? And then that old drizzle, and then it's a torrent, and then it's a deluge, and then it's not stopping. And then the floods began to mount, and the people begin to panic, and the houses are being flooded, and the people are running like a tsunami or a flood, and they're running to the hills, and they're running to try to hide, and they're fighting with each other over each little bit of space. They're being sucked down now, and they're watching their loved ones. They're children, their wives, their husbands, their parents being sucked down into the torrent and they're gasping for breath and they're being slaughtered. How does it happen? We call the method of the flood decreation. It's very important that we understand it so that the next time we look at this we'll see the significance of it. It's called decreation. That's why we read the creation, a counterpart of it. God created this world. And when he created it, he divided up the waters from the land. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This earth began as water. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And then he called the firmament heaven. And then the next day, he created dry land. And he gathered together the waters. And he called the water sea. And in this act of judgment, God reverses creation. Mm -hmm. In the 600th year of Noah's life, verse 11, in the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. The windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Second Peter chapter 3, one of the passages that we use in the New Testament to give clarity to the, uh, our understanding of the flood narrative. It says there are 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. It says, sorry, um, I got lost there. Second Peter chapter 3, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. Total worldwide destruction. Not just Noah looking out over a wee local flood and saying, oh look, it's as far as eyes can see, so it must be just the whole world, nothing like that. This was a worldwide cataclysm. Verse 19. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. The whole hills under the heaven were covered, all of them. Mountains were covered. The waters increased. 
40 days it lasted. 40 days. It's not, don't be thinking, don't be looking for a code or anything like that. There's nothing mystical here. The children of Israel were 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted 40 days. R.C. Sproul suggests that the 40 day number is indicative of a new beginning. Sproul again looks at another number, 150 days, and imagines that the 150 days of floodwaters prevailing upon the earth included the 40 days of rain. Whatever you think. The important thing is not the numbers. The important thing is that when God pours out his wrath upon sin, it is total. It is utterly effective. It is inescapable. It is complete. And there is always with it the promise of a new age. For in Second Peter we read, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Why would a Christian be looking forward to judgment day? The day wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Here's why. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So Noah believed and obeyed. God closed the door, the rain came down and the floods came up. The very foundations of the earth gave up their waters in an amazing cataclysmic act of decreation. Finally, and most terrifyingly, sinners perished under the terrible wrath of God. And you will say why. Or the world will say why. Because every time someone dies, they will say, why does God allow this? Every time there's a natural disaster, if there's a God, why does he allow this? Every time there's a tsunami or an earthquake or a building goes on fire, why does God allow this? What an unreasonable thing to do. Everybody died apart from Noah and his house. Men died, women died, children died, we babies in arms died. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And for every one of us, there is a time to die. It may be in great old age. It may be in middle age. It may be as a young adult. It may be as a teenager. It may be as a child. It may be as a baby. Maybe in the womb, there is a time to die. Warning has been given. Warning has been ignored. The time to die has come. For those who perished in the flood that day, their time, their probation on this earth was over. We need to stop as, as sinners. We need to stop being obsessed 
with blaming God for taking people out of this world. For we all must leave it sooner or later. The time now is to start preparing for that day. So Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things around us shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation, godliness, There's the challenge. We're all going to die. And if we don't die, we'll survive to the time of the Lord's coming when there will be a great day of judgment. The question is, O sinner man, where will I be on that day? The question is, what manner of life holy conversation and godliness are we living are we in the ark in Christ protected from the day of God's wrath or will we perish with the lost